You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. If you have a Bible, grab it, turn to Matthew chapter 1. It is a privilege to preach God's Word each and every week. And uh, Cody, fantastic job reading those names. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we normally church walk through books of the Bible because we're in the Christmas season. We have started a series uh, that we are going to uh, continue a story for the nations during this Christmas season. And uh, we're excited now to jump into Matthew's gospel account. We'll be here for the next two weeks. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope that you see that we are about Jesus. And so that's why we're here in Matthew's gospel account. That's why we worship. That's why we celebrate Christmas is because we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And we believe every time we come and hear God's word, we're called to respond to it. We're called to submit to it. So if you're a Christian today, we tell you every week you are to respond to God's word. And if you are not a Christian today, my prayer for you is that you would see the gospel, hear the gospel, and that God would in His power, raise you to new life. So as we start this morning, I don't know about you, but uh, my kids, uh, well, my first son at the moment, he watches TV. Well, the way we watch TV is we don't turn on the normal cable for him. We turn on uh, Disney Plus or Amazon Prime or um, Paramount Plus or whatever other things that we have to buy to let, make sure that he can watch cartoons. I'm just kidding. We watch things that I want to watch too. And so we sit him down and he, if he gets a couple shows a day and uh, if, if he sits down and watches them, he's great. And he's used to shows playing, shows playing, nothing. We go to my mom and dad's about a year ago and what do they not have? They don't have Disney Plus. What do they have? They have normal TV. What's on normal TV? Commercials. And when commercials come on, he looked at me like, what is this? Why is my show not playing? And he said, skip them, Daddy. Skip them, Daddy. Son, I cannot skip them. I'm sorry. And we cannot skip this genealogy today. Okay, we must come to this. And it's good for us. How many of you fell asleep while we were reading the genealogy? How many of you want to skip genealogies when you come through them? But here's the thing, church. I hope, as we make a joke about it, there's wonderful and beautiful truths in the genealogies in our, in our Bible. Are the genealogies in it just to be like, hey, this dude fathered this dude? No, there's much more important things impact in that. And I will not be able to give all of those beautiful things today. We could have an eight-week sermon series only on this genealogy. I will not do that to you. But we're going to bring out some beautiful things this morning. So what I want you to see is this. Matthew demonstrates God's providential plan to bring Christ into the world through the family of Abraham and David. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, if you've submitted your life to him, here's what you need to know today. Jesus is a Jewish Messiah from the nations and for the nations. And what a wonderful, beautiful promise this is to us. As people outside of Israel's kingdom now being brought into God's family. 
And a couple weeks ago, we started, we talked about a message for the nations that God would send his own prophet to the nations in Jonah. Last week, Pastor Ryan talked to us about a light to the nations, a Savior who was greater than just for Israel. And now, this morning, we talk about a Savior from the nations. If you read through this genealogy, what you notice is there's a bunch of kings in this genealogy. Bunch of kings in this genealogy. And if you were in our equip class, uh, you know, we just started a different series, but we walked through uh, the kings. And what you notice is that none of those kings were good, except David and maybe one or two others. And so you get to the picture of like, what is God doing? Well, we know God was bringing forward Jesus. And that's what Matthew picks up on here. And he shows us the beauty of God's plan. And the beauty of God's Messiah. So, here's what I want to do. I want to make four observations. Four observations in our passage this morning. Four observations about Matthew's genealogy. Number one. The Christmas story is about God's Messiah. The Christmas story is about God's Messiah. Look back there at verse 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. One reason Matthew starts with a genealogy is because he's writing to Jews. He's a good Jew and he wants his fellow Jews to know who Jesus is. And the Jews were waiting on the Messiah. That is God's chosen one, the anointed one. And the Messiah is the one who would restore Israel. That is their power, their government. And so they were looking for this Messiah figure under the oppression of Rome. And it's important that we start here because Matthew starts with this as a backdrop. So when Jesus enters onto the scene, he's different than everybody else wants. Which is why the first observation is this is God's Messiah, not one that we conjure up in our own minds. They expected a king who would rule with power over their enemies. And so they miss, potentially miss, this Jewish Messiah. But Matthew's very clear. This is the genealogy about who? Jesus Christ. The word Christ is the same. Uh, it's, the, it's the, you could also say Messiah. And now Matthew's not just writing to Jews, but to Jews who were seriously checking out Christianity. It were those Jews who were being persecuted. And Matthew says, do not give up this Jesus that you know is the Messiah. He is the real deal. Do not forsake and turn away from him. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the Messiah and King. He is worth it. Now, I want you to notice how Matthew connects Jesus as the Messiah. He does this through the line of David and Abraham. It's the genealogy, literally the genesis of Jesus. That's, it, it harkens back to Genesis chapter 1. So immediately the readers think back to the first book of the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God. This is something that God is doing. This is something that God has done for his people. And now genealogies were used differently and in different ways and in, for different types of reasons in the first century. Don't think of Ancestry.com. That's not what's happening here. Okay, there, there's no blood sample. You don't send it off. You don't get back, hey, that, you know, you're part German or Irish or whatever, right? That's not, that's not what's happening. They have totally different purposes. 
They serve different functions. It could be for economic reasons. It could be for tribal or political or familial reasons. This kind of genealogy was a linear genealogy in the sense that it justifies the power, rank, and status of an individual. And this individual has an able and legitimate claim to the throne of Israel. So, Jesus has a legal claim to the throne. Why? Because he comes from the line of David. You see here, he comes from Joseph's line, and Joseph adopted him. And so legally, he has a claim to the throne of Israel. Now, so Matthew talks about it in the physical terms in Mary and Joseph, but we've been reading John chapter 1, which John doesn't locate Jesus' genesis in the in humanity he says no Jesus is before all things he was with God in the beginning and so John says no Jesus is eternal and Matthew now what he does he says yes that eternal Messiah is coming through a human line one more interesting fact Luke's account shows us that Mary was related to David as well you see two different genealogies And so Mary was related to Nathan, David's other son. And so Jesus had a legal right to the throne through Joseph. But he also did not receive the curse of sin because he was not born of a man. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary. And so Mary was a direct descendant of David. So Jesus has double claim to the throne. And here it's important detail, since we're not walking to the book of of Matthew as a whole, the characters in Matthew's gospel, their disciples, the Pharisees, the Jews, the officials, they're all wrestling with, who is Jesus? Why is he important? Matthew tells us. And he tells us as the readers that that the people in the story don't have. He is the Messiah. He is the King. He is the suffering servant who comes to take away the sin of the world. He does not come the first time as a warrior king. And we now, church, on the other side of the cross, live and wait for that king to come and conquer all of death and our enemies. But the question, though, is who is Jesus to you? So Matthew wants you to ask, who is Jesus to you today? Is he Lord? Is he Lord of your life? Or is he just something that we like? Is he just a coach or somebody that we're cool with? Or does he actually contradict you? Like, does he motivate you to live differently? That's the question. Because when we say that Jesus is Lord, it means that he is telling you how to live. And we don't like that, do we? But when we submit our lives to the gospel, we are submitting our lives to Jesus. That's what it means He is king. He is not just Israel's king. He is the king of the universe. And when we say he is Lord, that means he's our Lord and we submit to him. If we read our Bibles and we are never contradicted, then something is wrong. Christmas is about this Jesus who is Lord. But what have we done as well? It's easy to make Christmas about things that are good. It's easy to make Christmas about things that are fun. What have we made Christmas about? We've made Christmas about presents and family and food, which are all good things. But we've made the things that God has made potentially 
in his place. They're all good, but not ultimate. And oftentimes we miss Jesus during this season. And Matthew's saying, no, we cannot miss Jesus as Lord. This is why next week on Christmas Day, we will gather and worship together. That's why. Because He is Lord. Because He is King. Because we get to worship Him. It's not that we have to, but we get to worship Jesus on Christmas Day. It's like the Super Bowl for me. I'm excited. It's all get out. I wish we would do it every year. The fourth Sunday of December is always Christmas. That would be great to me, but I'm sure that wouldn't go well for everybody else. This is about Jesus. And maybe more importantly, though, if people were to describe you, how long would it take them to mention Jesus? They may mention good things like service, common good, maybe good theology. How long does it take them to get to the point this person submits their life to Jesus? What are we known for? This is clear. This is about Jesus. This isn't about you. This isn't about us. It's about Jesus. And if we come with the wrong focus, we're going to miss everything else that Matthew's saying. This Christmas story is about Jesus, who is our Messiah. Our Messiah. Observation number two. The Christmas story is about God's promise. Look there at verse one again. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. I want you to notice and look at the names in verses one and verses 17. Each have Jesus, David, and Abraham. Of course, every Jew knew that their lineage was from Abraham and everyone longed for a king like David. But why is that? It's because God had an intimate relationship with both of these men and he promised to do something for them. So first, let's talk about David. David was the best king in Israel. He's literally held up in the book of Kings as this king was not like David who obeyed the Lord. This king was maybe kind of like David who fought, he followed in his father's footsteps. And so David was the king that we all long for. And you might even thought if you lived in that time that David was this Messiah. That David was the one who was going to rescue them and to bring back God's presence into the world. He was a man after God's own heart. But we know that David was not the Messiah. Why? Because he sinned and he committed adultery and murder. And although David wasn't the anointed one, God promised that the anointed one would come through his throne. It would be one of his heirs. 2 Samuel 7, 16 says this, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever because of me, and your throne will be established forever. God promised to David that it was his throne, meaning his kingdom and his rule would be eternal. But this eternal throne was never going to be a forever earthly kingdom. Don't be fooled into believing or trusting in earthly kingdoms because they will fall. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to David of a kingdom that will never end. A, a spiritual, godly kingdom. And Jesus is the rightful heir to that throne. He is the anointed one, God's son. And his throne will be forever. King David 
and his throne, though, if, if we were good Jews, every time King David, his name was brought up, it would, it would trigger hope. In the end, God's throne is going to be established, and we can hope in that. It's an eschatological, a future hope that we are longing for. So I must ask, what are you putting your hope in this Christmas season? What are you looking to to give you satisfaction? What are you looking to to protect you? And we can, we can name things. But we all have that one thing that if we check it online or if we talk to this person and we do this one thing, it's what's going to protect us. It's what's going to give us security. It's what's going to give us hope. But for those who are longing for this Messiah, long for this kingdom and this throne and nothing else. But secondly, Abraham was chosen by God, not just David. Abraham was chosen by God to begin a covenant relationship with. Right? If you remember, God promised to do something that seemed impossible for Abraham. What did he promise? I'm going to give you a family. In Genesis 12, God says that family is going to be as big as the stars. You won't be able to count them. One problem. Abraham and Sarah were old. 100 years old. And they had no children. And God says, no, you're going to have children. So how does God do this? He provides a son to Abraham and Sarah, even after Abraham tried to do his own thing. And Isaac was the first of many sons in a huge family. And I want you to think about how absurd that would have been to, to Abraham and Sarah. God just chose them. It wasn't like they had been following God. No, God came to Abraham and took him and said, this is what we're doing. And you probably would have thought, I don't know, Lord, if, if we're going to have children at 100 years old. But God fulfills his promise. And he brings a son and he brings a family. And that family is so big that they have to travel in a herd to Egypt at the end of the book of Genesis. The story of Christmas is about God fulfilling his promises to David and to Abraham. If God can give David an eternal throne and Abraham a son out of barrenness, then God can bring the Messiah into the world. If God brings the Messiah, if Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises, then God can be trusted. Christmas is about a faithful God providing a Savior that He promised. Our God is faithful to His promises and He keeps His promises. What are you worried about today? What are you worried about today? What's weighing you down? Because our God is faithful. It does not mean that those circumstances will not be difficult. And it does not mean that we will get out of them. But what we do know is that our God is faithful. And we, we live now. And so those two promises, one to Abraham and to David, now culminate in our salvation. They culminate in us being reconciled to God, being freed from sin and able to live forever with God. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to its completion. This is the promise of salvation. That you've been reconciled to God. Oh, and by the way, you will look like God when he's done with you. If God takes care of your biggest need, which is salvation, can we not trust him for all other things? Not saying that they don't matter, but that they, they will be done for you in Christ. That you can trust even if things go badly. 
that you have salvation in Christ. Jesus is the promised Messiah to the Jews and to the nations. Which brings us to our third observation. The Christmas story is about God's mission. Look at verse 2. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. You may ask if Jesus is a Jewish Messiah, then, and God kept his promise to Abraham and David, what does it have to do with us? A great deal. You see, God not only promised Abraham many children and a great name, he also said that Abraham and his family would be a blessing to the entire world. And more importantly, in Genesis 22, after Abraham has been obedient with Isaac, God had promised that Abraham's offspring would be to all nations, would be a blessing. And so Matthew uses Abraham as an illusion. He's preparing us for the end of the book. It's not only that Jesus is a Jewish Messiah. No, this Messiah tells his disciples to go to all nations and make more disciples. And so this, Matthew's already culminating in us. If Jesus is the promise to Abraham, he's the promise to the nations. God will bless the world through Abraham. And the book hints and alludes to the nations being included but Jesus commissions us to the nations. He is a Savior from the nations and for the nations. We want to be global Christians. We don't want to be, have blinders on and only be Christians in this context. We need to think about Christians all over the world. We need to think about how Christianity is moving all over the world. What are the struggles? What are the, what are the good things? How is God working? Oftentimes we just get in our bubbles and we think that Christianity is only here. When in fact God is blessing the whole world with people who are coming to faith in Christ. We want to be global Christians. And the promise to Abraham now extends to the entire world. But notice how Matthew weaves in the nations. Look there at verse 3. Judah fathered Perez and Terah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. And Hezron fathered Aram. And Aram fathered Abinadab. And Abinadab fathered Nashon. And Nashon fathered Solomon. And Solomon fathered Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Did you notice something interesting about that, that paragraph? Did you notice the women in this section? First, that doesn't happen in Jewish first century genealogies. So what Matthew's doing is that he's interrupting. I want you to see this. This would have caught their attention. And secondly, let me remind you of who they are. Tamar was a Canaanite who seduced her father-in-law because her father-in-law kept a husband from her, his son. Obvious sexual sin there. And Rahab was a Canaanite who held the Jericho spies. And Hebrews and James even talk about her as being a woman of faith. Ruth was a Moabite. She was an outcast who lost her husband but stayed with her mother Naomi, her mother-in-law Naomi. And they go back to the land of Israel and she meets Boaz and Boaz is the kinsman redeemer and we see that Boaz is an example of covenant faithfulness and Jesus is the better and truer Boaz who is our kinsman redeemer and we come to Uriah's wife who we know as Bathsheba who David took for himself and putting them together God is in his providence all to include these women 
who are foreigners and sinners into the royal lineage of Jesus so that it would show that God is not only a God of righteous Jews, but of all humanity, so that anyone would come to faith in him. We, those of us who are on the outside of Israel's kingdom, have now been grafted into the kingdom of God. Jesus ignores society's labels and offers salvation to anyone who will receive him. The question we have to ask, church, is are we following in Jesus' footsteps? Do we offer the gospel to anyone and to everyone? Or are those people that we just we don't want to share with? The people that frustrate us, the people who have hurt us or harmed us. Do we structure our church and its ministries to reach those who are not like us? To reach the outcasts, to reach those who are poor or addicted? Do we help those who do not look like us? And again, for Matthew to list these names, it would have been scandalous. It's not something you do. He's doing it to catch our attention. And I don't want you to miss this. And I really want you to notice here in verses 3 through 6, I want you to notice this one thing. These four women are Gentiles. At least married to a Gentile. Bathsheba would have been considered a Hittite because she was married to Uriah. And Matthew is stressing from the onset the importance of the Gentile mission and shows that all of humanity is involved in the birth of the Messiah. As Pastor Ryan showed us last week from Isaiah 49, Jesus is too grand of a Savior for only Israel. Jesus is a Savior for the entire world, which means His people are for those around the world. The Christmas story is about a God and a God's mission that would send His own Son into the world to save anyone who would believe. Anyone. You, me, and anyone who would come in between that. God offers salvation to the world. This has been His plan from the beginning, which brings us to our fourth observation. Our fourth observation. The Christmas story is about God's plan. It's about God's plan. This whole point is this. God's plan has been revealed. Jesus the Messiah has come. Look there at verse 16. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. The climax of God's plan is that Jesus came into the world as the promised Messiah. The one chosen to take away the sins of the world, as John tells us, This is why it's so climactic. God entered into the world for you and me and for the world to save it. The culmination of the Christmas story is that God came in the flesh. And I want you to know this has been God's plan from the beginning. God promised this all the way in Genesis chapter 3. That a seed of the woman will come and crush the head of the serpent. That's the promise. All the way from the beginning, from the beginnings of your Bible, God had promised that he would send someone to crush our enemies, and he did. Not only that, think of what it took for this to happen. Through all the history, through all the ups and downs, through all the sin and rebellion of God's people, God kept his promises because this was his plan to bring Jesus into the world. And exactly the way he promised, through Israel. And look at what, God, what lengths God went to 
Nothing's going to stop him from saving his people. Nothing. And who is his people? Anyone who will believe. This is how much God loves you. If you do not know Jesus today, I want you to know that God went through the mess and the muck of sin and adultery and murder and all of it. And He was faithful to His plan. So that you, even if you've never heard the gospel before, so that today, in 2022, you might hear that Jesus came into the world, lived a perfect life, and then was killed on a cross, but was raised three days later. And if anyone trusts and submits their life to Jesus, because He paid for our sin and bore the wrath of God, and now has been raised to new life, we will receive that new life. That's God's plan. That you would hear the gospel even today. So if you don't know Jesus, my prayer for you is that you would, you would receive Him. That you would submit to Him. If there is any doubt that God is in control, look at what He went through for you. And some of you are in tough spots. You, you may be a Christian, but you're in tough spots. Your home life is hard. Work is hard. Maybe you have some wavering children. Maybe you've had some health problems. Do not doubt that God loves you. Do not doubt. Just read the names. And go back and look them up and look at what happened and look how God worked despite all of that. God deeply loves you. And as Matthew ends the genealogy, he ends it with the three names again, as I told you in verse 17, with Jesus, Abraham, and David. But now they're only in reverse order. Look there at verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon until the Messiah, 14 generations. I want to point out a couple things to you, and some of these may be concerns for you, and some of you may not have noticed yet. First, the genealogy is not an exact record of ancestry, right? We've already told you that. It's different. If you were to go back in the Bible and read these stories and genealogies, you would see that Matthew skipped some. You would see that genealogies were not used for exact matches. We don't have every name. That's not what they're meant for. Matthew is demonstrating that Jesus is the promised Messiah to Abraham and David Jesus is a legal right to the throne, and Jesus will bless the nations. That's why we have the genealogy. We don't have it to have a perfect lineage. We don't have it so that everything is perfect. And number two, if you were to go and count these, the genealogies, this genealogy isn't a perfect 42 generations, which is what 14 from Abraham to David and 14 from David to exile and 14 from exile to Jesus would be. So what do we do with that? How does that match up? It's off. Well, I think D.A. Carson helps us understand this better. He says the simplest explanation is that the one that fits best observes that the numerical value of David, David in his Hebrew name is 14. And so David is the key to understanding the whole genealogy. And by the symbolism, Matthew points out that the son of David is Jesus. The Messiah has come. 
Matthew wants us to understand that God is in full control. Yes, the names in the genealogy may not be exactly right, but what he's saying is God is fully in control. He did all of this. Again, think of all the experiences of Jesus' family tree. We have kings and sinners. We have women and those forgotten. We have a God who stopped at nothing for his promised plan. Our God is sovereign over all things. Do you believe this? Do you believe that our God is in control of everything? Our God is not just a saving God. Our God is a sovereign, saving God. Think about this this one instance and how we see God's providence work in the world and how he brought Jesus into the world. Think about the prophecy about the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. What did it take for Joseph and Mary to go to Bethlehem and for Mary to have that baby in Bethlehem? You probably know it. It was a Roman census. You may think, what if it's been easier for God to tell Joseph in a dream, hey, Mary's pregnant, which he did. And by the way, go take her to Bethlehem so the baby can be born there. Really easy, right? But no, God doesn't do that. He wouldn't do that. Why? Because we probably wouldn't see how powerful God really is. God is the one guiding and moving all of human history. He's the one who's in control. And all the power that we see in the world right now is borrowed because God is in control. It may seem like the Romans were in charge in the first century, but God is in ultimate control. The Romans were playing checkers where God was playing chess. That's what's happening. The same God who has guided all of human history to bring the Messiah into the world, remember how difficult that was, is the one guiding your life. God is in control. And we can trust him. But this plan doesn't end with Christmas. It doesn't end with the cross or resurrection. Where does it end? It ends in God working in and through you. It ends in you sharing the Christmas story, the gospel with others and inviting them into the family. That's where the story ends. And may it never end until Jesus returns that we now, this church and this family of believers now invites the world into God's family. The story does not end. God's plan is still in motion. You are being invited into it. Even now. Maybe you feel like, well, I haven't done a good job of that. It's okay. God is inviting you into it now. He's saying, come join me in what I'm doing in the world. And maybe you're not a Christian. God is inviting you to have a relationship with Jesus and Him and His church. You may give everything over to Him. Yes, all your desires and hopes and dreams, but also all your sin and all your brokenness. And He uses that to redeem you in Jesus. He's inviting you now. And the question, church, is this. Will we join Him? Pray with me. God, we, we need you. As we see here, you're in full control. It's really easy for us to believe that we're in control, but we're not. I pray that we would be a people who trust you, who trust your plan, who see how sovereign you are, that we see what links you went for us to demonstrate your love for us, even though we were sinners. I pray that our church would would image, would reflect you in these ways. 
that the mission of the gospel would not stop here, but it would, would extend from here. God, we need you to help us be these people. During this week, as we celebrate Christmas, would we remember what you've done? And would we remember those who were on the outside because we were once on the outside? God, we love you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.